Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast, Episode 8, Part 2, with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers, and Andy McBride. And thank you for joining us back for this second part of the Christmas special. Um, this time, we're going to have an alternative end-of-year review. So rather than talk about our highlights and the best of everything, we thought we'd go with something a bit more unique, whilst also reviewing our clubs that we support and asking around the table the key questions like who is the best positioned team right now. So without further ado, let us introduce you to our alternative end-of-year review. So we've got five sections, and um, the sections we decided to go with were twat of the year, worst team of the year, worst manager of the year, worst transfer of the year, and also worst footballing moment of the year. So around the table, we've all picked one particular answer for each of these categories and what we're going to do is we're going to put everyone on the spot for 60 seconds and get them to argue why they feel their particular um, say answer is the best answer so for twat of the year we're just going to start going around the table so we'll start off with andy so without further ado just introduce who your twat of the year is and then once you've done that, I will time 60 seconds and then we'll give you the floor to argue your case. So who is your Twat of the Year nomination? So my Twat of the Year nomination is Mike Ashley. Lovely. So 60 seconds <laughs> to argue your case about why Mike Ashley is Twat of the Year starting now. Well, I could easily cut that into 10 seconds, say, because it's Mike Ashley. But to be more <laughs> specific, um, he was one of the only clubs that put all of his staff on the uh, furlough scheme and took government money when he's a billionaire. Newcastle Premier League club, they didn't fucking need the money, but they still took it anyway. Um, not only that, uh, they've taken um, season ticket money off for the you know the season ticket holders that they have and as of this moment they've not refunded them or been very slow to so um so he's not only pissed off their fan base which you know don't need much of excuse to be annoyed anyway um and he's just an all-around shitbag really um you know he keeps steve bruce in the job because um he knows that he won't go against anything mike ashley wants or anything like that um yeah he's just all around a bit of a bell end and that's 60 seconds precisely so well done on that one thank you right we'll move across to our glaswegian friend craig so who was your nominee for twat of the year my nominee for twat of the year is former fa chairman greg clark Lovely. And 60 seconds starts for you now. So I've nominated former FA chairman Greg Clark as my twat of the year after he was forced to resign from his post after comments he made about um, minorities in the game in England. So Greg Clark oh, yeah. was asked to appear before the Department for Digital Media, Culture and Sport. Now, he was asked to appear before that panel to talk about the EFL bailout, Project Big Picture, but seemed to get himself entangled into some discussion on race. Um, he referred to black players as coloured. He said that female goalkeepers aren't very good because young girls don't like to be kicked with the ball. Um, and he also said there are more South Asians than African Caribbeans in the FA's IT department because um, they have different interests. So it's just it's flabbergasted that there was a guy at this, well, this mindset at the top of the FA. So he's my twat of the year, Adam. And that is your time up. So well done. You got that well into that 60 seconds. And finally, it is my turn. So my Twat of the Year nominee is Oliver Dowden, MP. So Secretary of State for Media, Culture and Sport. So without further ado, here's 60 seconds. So like the government, he lacks direction and fails to learn from his mistakes. And you look at him and you think, what a cunt. Football has struggled all season. And like any other sport, this tosser has failed to grasp any guidance needed for any sport, let alone football. So lots of EFL games had trials um, for initial one-game periods, which were completely dismissed despite showing they were completely successful 
and abide to the COVID rules. At the same time, the government were encouraging people to flood into cinemas when the likes of Cineworld were threatening to go into administration. ONE also let pubs be favoured in a place of sporting events, which, let's be honest, they're held outside. His rationale was poor. He didn't even give the likes of the FA any help, and yet he relied on the Premier League to assist when he couldn't be asked. There you go. That was my 60 seconds. Yep, yep, yep. So, guys, uh, there's lots of candidates there for Twat of the Year. Um, let's go around the table. Um, let's start off with Andy. What's your thoughts on what you've heard so far? I mean, they're all twats. So I think, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we've picked a good selection of twats there, haven't we? Um, yeah. I mean, I think when Craig was talking about the Greg Clark stuff, like how many diversity no-nos can you fit into one <laughs> speech? He, mate, like, he, wasn't, he wasn't even asked to talk about diversity. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like mate, stop fucking digging. And what what yeah, what was what was so fabricated is the FA seemed to be doing a lot of things outwardly to tackle bigotry and racism in the game, and you think, fuck me, if this guy feels comfortable enough to speak like that in front of Parliament, what is his conversations behind closed doors like? So no wonder oh, people are still the players are still taking the knee because they need this action. If you've got the top guy spouting that shit in front of Parliament, I couldn't fucking believe it. But do you think that's more of a cultural thing as well? Because it didn't sound like it was just him. It sounded like that's quite embedded into the FA um, by all accounts. So I think it was, the was it Tyrone Mings came out and said directly afterwards, kind of, yeah, that this kind of culture does exist within the FA. Yeah. And it was a bit worrying at the same time. But yeah, he got really slaughtered because he was just so naive, wasn't he? He was just coming out of it, just left, right and centre. I wouldn't say it's naivety. It's the fact that he's probably used to having been able to say that stuff and not be held accountable for it. Because yeah. let's be honest, like as well as the FA not being very good at making themselves accountable, we've got a government which has made it okay for people to be like that. You know, yeah. people feel emboldened, you know, by the actions of our bloody prime minister to go, well, if he could do it, then so can we. Um, yeah. So it's just emblematic of a group of people who feel that they can say those sort of things without any um, consequence and anybody else that questions it. So just snowflakes um to be to use a really sort of stereotypical terminology there um uh, so let, yeah let's bring in mike ashley obviously you're going to have a lot of uh, people from newcastle well on your side of round that particular one but yeah mike ashley to his due has kept the club still stable still going um that's probably the best that you could say about mike ashley and that's really I mean that's that's basically that's basically like a postman delivering the post, like <laughs> like that's exactly. his that's his fucking job as an owner to be somewhat semi financially stable. <laughs> like you shouldn't get any praise for actually doing this fucking job. Um, but he's just such a such a scrounger, and he's just a leech on society. Um, you know. Even I mean, there's a hell of a lot more you could say about Mike Ashley, even taking away the football stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's that's where it gets um, you know, especially with a lot of football clubs who really try to put themselves out there and go, look, this is how we responsibly run an organisation. And he's just like, I don't care. You could be all furloughed and get to fuck. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's probably not a lot to say about him. We all know what a cunt he is as well, to be fair. And uh, yeah, to his best efforts, he's tried to sell the club, but no one's really buying it because I don't know if he's asking for too much money, basically, to fund all his retail buys recently. But yeah, I mean, I one know. thing one thing I will say about him is consistent. Like he's <laughs> a consistent bellend year in year out. Like it feels it feels like a cunt of a decade award that he'd probably win it. <laughs> Yeah, he's done quite well for that nomination, that's for sure. But um, yeah, what was your thoughts, guys, on Oliver Dowden? Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of people that feel a bit like he's a twat. 
um, given that he's not really done too much for the sport itself. But yeah, thoughts on what I actually described about him? Yeah, I think it's fair, mate. I think it's uh, another MP who doesn't really understand what he's supposed to be the minister of. I think when you come out and and some of his comments as well, he just doesn't understand football or how important this game is to communities and what clubs provide for communities. And it just, it stunk of someone who was out of touch and who shouldn't be in a government position who look after sport, really, in all honesty. And I think his, yeah, his attitude was absolutely rotten. Cool. So if we go around the table, you can't vote for your own, um, but who would you vote for? Um, so let's start off with Andy. Who would you go for? Oh, you know what? I think I'm actually going to switch to the Greg Clark one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. And Craig? Make Ashley for me. Cool. And I'm going with Greg Clark. So I think that's uh, Greg Clark wins twat of the year. So well done, Craig, on that argument. <laughs> Right, we move on to uh, the number two, which uh, is worst team of the year. So to start us off, Craig, give us your nominee. My nominee is FC Schalke 0 of Bundesliga fame. Lovely. And 60 seconds starts for you now. So it would have been quite easy here to pick a team at the bottom of League 2 who were just a shit team and, and blamed it on them and said, worst team of the year. I've gone for a slightly different flavour here and picked the most underachieving team of the year. We spoke on the pod at length about Schalke. They are currently 29 games without a win in the Bundesliga. They've gone the entirety of the year 2020 without a win in the Bundesliga. They started the league with David Wagner. They sacked him. They switched to Emmanuel Baum. They've sacked him. And now they've got in their version of Sam Allardyce to try and save the day. They are root of the table. Four points. They slumped to a 1-0 defeat at home against newly promoted Armenia Bielefeld. They're away to Hertha on Saturday. Then they're at home to Hoffenheim. Then they're away to Eintracht Frankfurt. So it's not going to get any easier. 29 games. The record's 31. I think by the end of January, this will be the worst team ever to play the Bundesliga. You did that with four seconds spare as well. So well done for that. Right, let me bring in my nominee for worst team of the year, and I went with Barcelona. So, 60 seconds start for me now. So, where the hell do you start with this squad? They started off having replaced Valverde with Kiki Setien to try and play the attractive football that the club's board desired. And with little funds or little changes at the club, this slowly digressed over time. If anything, it started to show the power that Messi had over the club and you saw that agenda in the summer. But more to the point, Joseph Bartomeu had to resign as president as his tenure was scrutinised for some terrible decisions ranging from contracts, transfers and day-to-day running. And even now they've got the likes of Ronald Koeman bought in as a manager who had very little style in terms of distastefully telling Luis Suarez in a one-minute call that he was no longer required at Barcelona. And had that not been enough, they've played some terrible football and are lying bottom or near enough bottom of La Liga. And that's me done. So let's bring on Andy. Andy, your nominee for worst team of the year. So I am going for Bournemouth. Um, <laughs> maybe... 60 seconds start for you now. Well, they've been absolutely key to relegation for about five years. Um, again, they're another sort of hipster team uh, where, you know, like hipsters go, oh, they play really progressive football. They have nice passing patterns and cool, fantastic, but you lost 6-0. Um, and Bournemouth always been a sort of a team where they'd go on a run of results and in the first half of the season, they'd just get battered for the second half and always stay up because there's three, team, three teams worse than they are. Um, and this season was just another one of those things. It's like, and what I found for this, we just didn't change anything. They didn't. They just didn't. They just seem to think, oh, it's fine. It's fine. There's no problem here. We're, we're in the relegation zone. It's fine. We'll get out of it. You're three points down. We'll, it'll be fine. We need to win this game to always get relegated. It'll be fine. No, you're not. Um, you know they they spent quite heavily the transfer and 60 market. Sixty seconds are up. 
fuck. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> but you got your points across, that's for sure. Um, Craig, uh, you couldn't really pick three more worse sides than what we've picked. Um, yeah, Schalke have had a terrible one, though, this year. You highlighted it on the pod a few weeks ago, but... Yeah, I mean, even recently they've sacked another manager. So, um, what is going on at Schalke, and where does it end? It ends with them playing the. It ends with them playing the, the, <laughs> play, play this Vita Bundesliga next year, mate. Is how this ends. It's they are double fucked. They really are. They've yeah, like I said, they've gone back to the well. I don't even know the guy's name, but he's a guy who's been the Schalke manager four times before. Um, so they've gone back to that well. Yeah, they're destined for the draw part there. I think, yeah, there, there's just no mm. coming back from that. So that'll be a, a massive loss, like we, we said in the pod a few weeks ago. And if any listeners haven't listened to that, we went into Schalke's demise um, in some, some detail. So, yeah, huge club. The second biggest um, club in terms of members in Germany. And it looks like they'll be playing their trade in the Bundesliga. In terms of my vote, I love Andy's point. I think Bournemouth for a great shout. They fought with relegation for far too mm. long. It was almost negligence that they didn't do anything about it. However, I just can't. I can't not vote for Barcelona. We've covered them extensively. They are just a fucking car crash as well. Um, and they're now sitting miles off the top spot in La Liga. And, you know, they're they're going through a really tough time on and off the pitch. So, for me, guys, worst team of the year, my vote goes to FC Barcelona. Yeah, and Andy, obviously, Bas- oh, should I say Bournemouth, not Barcelona, but Bournemouth have had a terrible year. Um, obviously, on the brighter side of things, they're kind of propping up the top of the table in championship. And I, I feel like it's a bit harsh on Bournemouth because there were certain players that didn't turn up. The likes of Ryan Fraser obviously refused to play after that COVID period uh, due to the fact that he was kind of egging on for a move away from Bournemouth. Um, There's also rumours that a lot of um, the players weren't playing for Eddie Howe as well. And I I felt you saw a bit of that towards the end of that season. But Um, that's that's why they should have made the change because Ryan Fraser was angling for a move a good year before, admitted it as much in an interview that he was angling for a move. And, you know, if it's obvious to us that the players weren't playing for Eddie Howe, then why didn't they make a change earlier? Like, they should have just bit the bullet, blew the fucking big Sam horn, and it might have been all right. Um, <laughs> but they, they weren't. <laughs> so, yeah. I think, obviously, their loyalty to Eddie Howe and what he's done for that club. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that's why you saw him step down as opposed to being forced out at the end of the season. Um, and by all accounts, that was his decision as well, because pretty much they saw him as the legend at the club, a bit like a Fergie, really, for what he'd done there. Um, so, yeah, not saying that it's not a right decision. Let's put it that way. I think that's a, definitely a justifiable nomination. Um, just wondered whether you felt from that point of view, whether it was kind of undermined by certain players or certain factors. Uh, yeah, they probably were on the mind, but that's you know that there's a decision to be made at the people that run the club to do something about it, and you can't yeah. say in a few years that Bournemouth have been in the Premier League they haven't had the opportunity to do it. Um, their tra- their recruitment policy has been absolutely shocking. They keep buying Liverpool rejects, and they flop massively. Um, so yeah, I think. Yeah, as much as they're mitigating factors, the reason why I didn't go for Barcelona was because, all right, off a pitch, they're an absolute shambles. And if there was an award for off a pitch madness, they'd be absolutely winning it. In fact, next year, we should call it the off a pitch award for Barcelona shithousery. Um, <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, it's still finished. Um, second of the league, they still got to the latter stages of the Champions League. And if you said to most clubs, "Is that a good season?" That still ain't too bad. So if you look at it in context, they still did better than most other teams, despite all of that. Uh, I think it's more this season; it's all coming to roost. So let's go around the houses. So Andy, who's your vote for? Worst team of the year? I'm still sticking with Bournemouth. Sorry, <laughs> Bournemouth fans. Bournemouth. That's all right. Um, seeing as I can't really vote for Barcelona, I'm going to go for Schalke. So that leaves us with the dilemma of saying all three clubs are worst teams of the year, really. So um, well done, everyone, on that one. 
Right, let's move on to number three, which is worst manager of the year. And I'll start off. And my nominee is Alan Pardew. So my 60 seconds start now. So Alan Pardew, you thought, where the hell is he these days? Well, just for your knowledge, he's CSKA, Sophia's technical director. But before that, at the beginning or towards the end of last season, he was actually manager of Den Haag where he achieved one win out of eight games before they were halted by COVID. Yes, you heard that right. One win in eight. And that was his very first game. Let's not forget that he was brought in off the back of his record at West Bromwich Albion, where he got eight points out of a possible 54 points. Where do you start with this guy? He's kind of gutless. That terrible dance that he did for Crystal Palace when they scored in the FA Cup final is still shuddering me right now. But that guy should be nowhere near a football pitch and deserves to be the worst manager of the year. And that's where I end with four seconds to spare. So, Andy, I'll pass on to you. Who is your nominee for worst manager of the year? Sorry, two sacks. I unplugged uh, my sp- my headphones by mistake. <laughs> so, sorry, <laughs> bit of, bit of a technical there. I moved my hand. So I am going for um, pre K Saitan. So for those who and your sixty second oh. start now. So the reason why I've gone for him is obviously he went over to Barcelona, um, to sort of take charge of a new bit of a crisis and. I've never seen a manager so openly disrespected by his own players in public ever. Like there was this clip. If you look it up on YouTube or Twitter, it'll be there. And he's there trying to give instructions to Messi and Suarez and the like. And he just, they're just ignoring him. <laughs> ignoring <laughs> him to the point where you might as well just not been there and he just um he seemed like a nice guy but he just didn't even for one minute have a grip on what was going on and if you look at that champions league game against uh Bayern Munich he just didn't look like he had any answers like he was just basically just sat there waiting for it to happen um I think it was just a dreadful dreadful appointment it's not what Barcelona needed seconds yeah. up well done. And we'll move on to Craig. Craig, who's your nominee for Worst Manager of the Year? My nominee for Worst Manager of the Year is Lucien Favre. And you have 60 seconds starting now. So another Bundesliga flavour to my nomination. And again, I've chosen Lucien Favre due to his underperformance. Um, Lucien Favre started last season. Because you remember, Bayern Munich had to sack their manager. Nico Kovac through the season last year. They were that bad. They lost 5-1 away to Eintracht Frankfurt. He was sacked. Lucien Favre, with the squad that he has, should have taken advantage of that that, um, Bayern Munich team. They signed Erlich Haaland in January. They still couldn't get the job done. Massive underperformance for Lucien Favre. Started off this season, again, lacklustre. We discussed it on the pod. Um, Beating it home to Cologne. Um... Just a terrible, terrible team. No direction. Too passive. Um, massive underperformance. There was no better opportunity to take advantage of a slightly weakened in-transition Bayern Munich team. And Lucien Favre failed to do that. And that is why he is my underperforming worst manager of the year. Well done. Right. So, uh, three good candidates just there. Um where the hell do we start with these three? Um, let's start with Kike Satian. And yeah, I have to say that is probably the worst decision they ever made, really, Barcelona, because it's bought off the back of a team that seems to be playing attractive football. But Kike Satian's kind of history wasn't really known for being charge of a big club. So, yeah, I mean, that Setien piece with Messi in particular was quite evident, wasn't it, Andy? I mean, we didn't. There was no dis- attempt to disguise it, was there? Like, <laughs> it was the most least subtle show of dissent ever. Like, it's the sort of thing that would probably happen in the changing rooms, let alone the pitch. But yeah, I think it just showed how little control he had over anything. Basically, that was going on. Um, and also, any team that decides that thinks signing Martin Braithwaite is a good idea will solve their problems. <laughs> to be honest, who deserves all the shit they're gonna get? 
but we have to ha also hand it to Favre as well as a candidate because, yeah, he, like Craig kind of alluded to, he had everyone, everything brought to him. So the likes of the fact that Kovac was removed at Bayern, the fact they've brought in some good players at Dortmund, yet he failed to deliver. Even at the beginning of this season, he really struggled to really bring anything about that team. And yeah, he got found out at that Stuttgart game, which really was the nail in the coffin for him. But is it because he was kind of a bit like a Bielsa, stubborn in terms of his style of football, Craig? Or do you feel like it was just his management st skills that were really lacking? Him? I don't think it's his management skills. I think he's quite a, a, a capable tactician. It's just not a right fit for the club. And with the, the squad that Borussia Dortmund have, they should be playing free-flowing attacking football. That's where the majority of their skill base and talented players are. And with him, it was just very, very slow, very, very passive. And teams caught on to that and they were taken advantage of. A poor fit. And I think, like we've said, if we get if the Dortmund get in a, a younger, more forward-thinking, more attacking manager, I think they'll get a lot more out of that squad than Lucien Favre ever did. Um, yeah, yeah, poor show from him. Cool. And I'm sure no one really wants to talk about Alan Pardew in terms of his credentials as being a manager. But, yeah, we have to talk about how bad he was as well. Um, hopefully that record stood out. So that was one win in eight games. Um, I appreciate that's probably the smallest amount of games that any managers had, potentially. Um, I don't think it's historical. But, yeah, certainly, um, yeah, kind of another bit of his history that he doesn't want to be reminded about. Um, by all accounts, he left on good terms. But, yeah, just an appalling manager, right, Craig? Yeah, I think his his time being a Premier League manager is probably gone now. I think the football's moved on and he's not moved with the times. Um, yeah, it, it speaks a lot that he's now hanging out in Bulgaria as a director of football role. I don't really know how that comes around, how you would get a job like that, being Alan Pardew. But yeah, he's one of those guys. I think he's his time's passed now, and I don't. I can't see him managing in the Premier League anytime soon. You never know. Uh, championship club who sat the manager may give him a call, but I think his time at the top level is definitely gone. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I did, I did nominate him, so I don't really think he's un overachieved or underachieved. Like he's mm. performed at sort of pure Pardew B shit levels, like. I can't. You just. I don't know. I just don't think he's the worst out there because you don't expect anything different, other than a complete shite. <laughs> right. Um. So going around the houses. Uh. So we'll start with myself. Um. So if I had to nominate one of the choices, I would probably go with Kike Setien. So if we pass to Andy, who's your vote for? Uh, I guess for manager, I'll still say Kiki Setien. Um, oh wait, I can't, I can't pick my own choice, can I? No. Oh, I'll go for Lucien Favre. And Craig. Andy's convinced me, Kiki Setien for me. Lovely. So Kiki yes. Setien is the winner of the worst manager of the year. I'm sure he's delighted. Right. <laughs> we'll we'll give this not, not a prize in the post, that's for sure. Um, right. We'll pass on to Andy for this next one, which is worst transfer of the year. Well, so <laughs> the funny thing is, I think we're all going to um, agree with who that one is, because when we were talking in the... Um... <laughs> The chat, we all basically had the same choice, and then because I was a bit last to it, I was uh, choice. <laughs> so I'm going to go with um, Timo Werner. Timo Werner, and your 60 seconds start now. So back in back at Leipzig, he was an absolute hot shot. Scored it, scored a bucket ton of goals over the years, and um, you know when he came over to Chelsea, um, he was basically lauded as like you know the second coming of God or Drogba, same thing I suppose in the eyes of Chelsea fans. Um, and it's just it just hasn't cut it. I think the thing that summed it up for me was his um, inexplicable miss against uh, Leeds United in the game there. Like he's just you know he's been. He's just um, not the deadly striker that you, uh, Chelsea have played fifty odd million pound for, and there seems to be very heavy Fernando Torres vibes about him. 
uh, where he just doesn't seem to fit in uh, to what they're trying to do. Like, you know, up front, Lampard's preferred, you know, 65-year-old Olivier Giroud. And... Um, <laughs> Might be exaggerated slightly, and Tammy Abraham. Uh, so yeah, sixty seconds up. So let's move on to Craig. Craig, who was your nominee? My nominee is Willian to Arsenal. <laughs> and your sixty seconds start now. Yeah, so I'm going to speak about Willian to Arsenal only because I was the first one in the group chat to put my nominations in. <laughs> um, Willian was signed to Arsenal from Chelsea. Um, Rumoured to be on £220,000 per week on a three-year deal. Now, William is 32 years old, so you can imagine how much productivity Arsenal are going to get out of him when he's 34 years old. Um, so far in the Premier League this season, he's had one shot on target. He is averaging to create one chance per game. Now, if that's not a waste of two hundred and twenty grand a week, I don't know what is. This all comes off the back of he was signed the week after Arsenal made 55 people redundant. Um, due to the COVID pandemic. So not a good look for Arsenal. Also not a good look for Michael Arteta. Now, Michael Arteta pushed for this transfer. He was the guy that he wanted. He's got a man, and Willian is far from performing. Arsenal are now bottom of the matrix in terms of shots on target, chances created, and Willian's a huge part of that problem. Um, Arsenal need to... Lovely, and ah. 60 seconds are up. Yeah, there's lots to talk about, William, that's for sure. Um, so I will move quickly to my nomination, who is Gareth Bale, and my 60 seconds start now. So he looks like a stroke of genius, even though Mourinho was the guy that kind of instigated his move to Real Madrid initially. Um, but the fact is, he just really hasn't set the ground alight and there's been issues around his fitness. I don't know if that's due to the fact that he's been spending more time in Madrid on the golfing course rather than the footballing pitch itself. But especially during this pandemic, when you'd imagine he'd be used rationally and potentially rotationally as well, um, he clearly isn't really striking that much interest from Mourinho and the fact that he hasn't even looks like a striker right now when he's turned up on the pitch is a bit worrying given his age and his wages. And it looks more likely that he's going to go back to Real Madrid rather than completing a move to his boyhood or supposed boyhood club, Tottenham Hotspur. So that's my... Well, I did that with five seconds to go as well. So, um, Andy, let's talk about Willian. Willian... Um, yeah, terrible, terrible signing, it looks like, from the offset. Um, I actually got a few stats as well, which were not just the one shot on target, but his shot accuracy is 11% Jesus. across all of that. Um, he's done 68 crosses all season. Granted that he's only played about 12 Premier League games, that equates to six crosses a game. Um, two offsides, nine tackles, so he's not even offering anything defensively. Um, boy, I mean, Chelsea must be laughing every time they kind of sell or lose a player to Arsenal. Um, but yeah, what's your thoughts on Willian? I think uh, with Willian, I mean, you only had to look at the Chelsea fans' reaction of losing Willian to Arsenal to maybe give a slight hint that perhaps this wasn't the best idea. You know, yeah. even in his latter years at Chelsea, apart from the an obligatory couple of goals he seems to get against Tottenham, um, <laughs> like he, he he didn't seem to be overly consistent. Um, and another inconsistent winger is probably the last thing that Arsenal needed. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, Craig, what do you think about the other two nominations? Um, obviously, I feel it's a bit harsh on Timo Werner, given that he had actually a decent season at Leipzig. But granted, he hasn't really set the light or oh, world on fire, let's put it that way, in Chelsea. Um, but yeah, what's your thoughts on that and Gareth Bale? Yeah, I, I thought Andy was a, bit, a little bit harsh on Timo Werner. I think he, you know, he's not been fantastic, but I think... That was in the group chat. I think Kai Havertz has probably had a, a worse start. I think Timo Werner will come good, and you're right, he did have a, a good season with Leipzig at the back end of last year. For me, Gareth Bale, it's all about how much he's being paid, isn't it? If Gareth Bale was on mm. 50 grand a week, you would say, oh yeah, he's a good squad player, but it's all to do with how much 
And I know Real Madrid, I think, and Spurs are splitting his wages, but it's still an enormous wage to cover. Um, I believe Spurs are paying about 300 grand a week, and that's his wages being split between the two clubs. It's fucking astronomical for for a player that's unfit, um, and he's the most expensive squad player in the world right now. And uh, granted, I, th- I believe he scored tonight, but Spurs, when they when they brought in Gareth Bale, they had higher hopes in scoring away to Stoke in the, the Carabao Cup. So I think, for me, my vote goes to Gareth Bale purely because of what he has not contributed so far. Um, didn't really do anything in Madrid at all back in the last season. Hasn't done anything for Spurs yet. And that mixed with the money that he's on, it's looking like a pretty bad piece of business right now. I'm going to just put it out there just to make it easy, but my vote is for Willian. Uh, so what about you, Andy? My vote's for Willian. Right, so Willian wins it. Worst transfer of the year. So well done, Craig, again there. Right, we go into our last section, which is worst footballing moment of the year. So we'll start off with Craig here. So Craig, what's your nomination? So my nomination is the death of Diego Maradona. And your 60 seconds start now. So I've chosen the death of Diego Maradona. Now, there have been potentially more obvious bust moments in terms of you know clubs going bust, COVID, etc., etc. But I just wanted to touch on um, Diego Maradona. He's a player that was a little bit before my time, but I have seen the videos, I have seen the commentary, and I, I'm aware of what a presence he was. And I think what really brought it home for me was two things was, one, Napoli renaming their stadium. So it's going from the San Paolo to the Diego Maradona Stadium. So in an Italian city to be bigger than St. Paul and have a stadium after you is something pretty special. And something that really, really brought it home for me was photographs from uh, Buenos Aires of River Plate and Boca fans hugging and embracing and talking in the streets. The River Plate and Boca is a massive derby. It's one of the true, true global derbies like into Rangers and Celtic, and I can't for the life of me think of a Scottish player who has ever done or ever will bring Rangers and Celtic together, which is why I think he was such a massive player for that country. And that was spot on, on 60 seconds. So, we move on to me, and my nomination was PSG mocking Haaland's celebration. And my 60 seconds start now. So you may recall back in, I think it was around June time when PSG were taking on Borussia Dortmund for the Champions League quarterfinal. And Haaland had made it 2-1 to Dortmund and did what can only be described as a meditating celebration after scoring his second goal. Um, what happened thereafter was some fake images being speculated to be leaks on the likes of Twitter as well as TikTok. Um, him showing him mocking Paris in particular and saying Paris was his. And in turn, Neymar did the celebration as soon as he scored to overturn that result. But what was more kind of telling was the lack of class from the PSG squad as at the full time uh, scoreline they'd all decided to take part in this mocking celebration and even in the changing room decided to do that just for me it stinks of a lack of class and show their karma in the end result so that was me done for 60 seconds and andy let's pass on to you what was your worst footballing moment of the year nominee oh a very depressing moment is um millwall fans or can i say the um the whatever many out of the 2000 that were there um, yeah. but yeah well, i think second start now so yeah you know in a time of year where there's big divisions over um brexit and covid and you know there's a lot of discussions over about you know how we treat other people and there's been quite a lot of instances of racism this year and you know as much as there's been like a great effort from some parts to um uh, to really sort of flush it out i think you know the whole black lives matter movement um i think the Millwall fans you know first game they have to come back into the stadium first game back after months and months of not being able to watch football they decide to boo what is in essence a few seconds of players taking a knee for something they um they believe in. Um you know and the fact was it took Millwall over twenty four hours to even make a statement. You know, there's not been any sort of apology from the fans that have done it. It's just it was just and completely 
Cool. So this is probably going to be, out of all of them, all memorable kind of incidents. But yeah, I think your last point, Andy, was kind of really tipped it a bit for me, um, purely because of what it stood for at the time. And yeah, I feel like we went backwards, really. Um, and it just, if anything, indicated by the um, post that happened on social media to show how we've kind of lacked that education right now, because people still have this ignorant feeling towards it as well. And it's... Um, I think you alluded it to it earlier um, around how the government dealt with it, but they completely allowed that to kind of take precedent because they didn't dismiss it. They felt like opinions should be held if they felt that way. And that was quite the wrong message to really send out. And especially what happened in America earlier this year really just didn't help really what was going on with that particular match. And it wasn't just Millwall, let's put it out there, also happened at Colchester on that very same day. But yeah, we also saw it more recently at a Cambridge United match as well. Uh, it just goes to show you it's doesn't just kind of isolate just to Millwall. However, in this instance, because it's Millwall and they've got a twat of a bunch of fans, um, yeah, they seem to be quite ignorant to the fact of what it stood for, especially given that they've got some players that could be affected by this as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like you've already got my nomination anyway. Um, but, yeah, let's pass it round. So, Craig, thoughts on this as well? Yeah, I think Andy's spot on there. Uh, very disappointing to see him. We spoke about it at length on my previous pod. Very disappointing that, you know, Millwall fans can't watch their team for nine months and the first thing they do when they get into a stadium is is boo. Um, what's quite a straightforward um, message of inclusion. And it, it's a shame because Millwall as a club are really trying to better their image. They do a lot of work in the community. They do a lot of work for the local people. Um and, you know, try and if you imagine if you were the, like the PR director or the marketing director of Millwall, it just must be such a, a kick in the nuts for all the good things that you try to do to better the image of the club, to, to have a proportion of fans just take it back and, and really damage that. But yeah, for me, my, my nomination, my vote goes to Millwall fans as well. Um, I think that was very, very disappointing after, you know, some good progress through the summer. Cool. So hopefully the listener has enjoyed that alternative end of year review. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that because certainly that was a bit of fun as well from my point of view. Um, but yeah, certainly different to your usual who's the best. And um, So let's bring it into another part of the show where we reflect on our team's performance. So we'll just go around the table and just have those questions around how we felt each of our teams have performed. We've talked kind of extensively around the likes of how Man United have played, also spoke about Rangers, and to an extent about Wickham Wanderers as well. But I thought it'd be a good opportunity for us to kind of reflect on how we felt our teams have done. And I suppose first question to both of you is, do you feel your teams have progressed as you anticipated for this year? Oh, un undoubtedly. Undoubtedly progressed. Um, I think I spoke in the first part of this pod that Rangers off the back of 2019 coming into this were in a good position. We had a really awful January to March and the league conceded the league to Celtic. Now, the league was cut short, um, an error in my my opinion, and Celtic were awarded the title and we were some way off that mark and I think we've used the winter, sorry, the summer break and the, the pre-season that we've had really, really well. And we've come out of the, the back of that and we've we've had a phenomenal start to the season and progress is the key word, I think. On and off the field we've progressed, our playing squad is better. Um and I don't think that we've been in a better position over the last eight years to challenge for the league this year. So undoubtedly Adam, progress is the key word and Rangers have certainly progressed over the last twelve months, yes. What about you, Andy? Um <sighs> I think in some ways, yes. Um, I think Solskjaer, I think 100% has a buy-in of his squad. And I think if you compare where Manchester United were at the start of the year in January by losing to Burnley and being in like seventh position, we're now going into the new year firmly in third. So in terms of like a league position, I think we've made progress. Uh, I think Bruno Fernandes... Um, has absolutely transformed that club 
Um, mm. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll never hear words about, I'll never hear a bad word about Bruno Fernandes ever because I'll be asking him outside. Um, but yeah, um, I think there's still work to do, but I think there's signs that we're moving into the right direction. I think it's just a case of consistency. I think if that could be addressed going into next year, that'd be all right. So it's been like a sort of a B minus kind of year, I reckon. I think you've managed to pull it out though towards the end of maybe this year. So I felt like the recent results have definitely helped. I mean, we've been slating Man United and in particular Solskjaer's kind of tactics and man management of certain ways he's dealt with situations. But yeah, it feels a lot more rosier than if we take it back a few weeks ago where Man United didn't feel like they were going anywhere, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I remember those various points. I looked at you know the form in January. I thought Solskjaer was gone. Um, even to earlier this season, where we had like the embarrassing, frankly embarrassing performances against the likes of Crystal Palace and Istanbul. And for whatever reason, every time we see him turn around and go, he's done. He's done. It's over. Like he pulls a result out the bag, and the fact he's kept doing it obviously means. He's got something there that keeps the players on board, mm. keeps them playing for him. Um, so though he's not like a revolutionary as such, I think he's he's obviously proving people wrong because he's still there ultimately. Craig, was there ever a feeling um, that if Gerard didn't have the set of results that he's had recently and maybe towards this part of the season that there could have been more pressure on him going into the end of this season? Absolutely. You know, the Scottish League is, or Scotland in general really, is there are only two teams and if if you're not winning titles or winning cups, you're seen as a failure. That's that's the harsh reality of Scottish football. Um, Granted, Gerrard's third year now, and I still believe this, if Gerrard does not win a cup or a, a, a league this year, I think he's under serious pressure and, and could potentially go. Um, I don't think that'll be the case. And I think we will win. Um, I think we will win the league this year. I'll, I'll put that out there. But there's, without a doubt, it doesn't matter whether you're Steven Gerrard or whether you're Walter Smith or Ali McCoyst or fucking Pep Guardiola. If you're a Rangers manager and you're not winning titles and winning cups, you're at risk. And as you know, Walter Smith was always mm. uh, a legend at our club and he had a famous quote that says, Rangers are only three defeats away from a crisis. And it's just it's true today as well. It's just not acceptable. And if you're not if you're not first in Scotland, it's a failure. So yeah, under no doubts about it, Gerard does and has to win something this year. Absolutely. And if I bring in my club, so Wickham Wanderers, I think we've far exceeded expectations around where we expected to be this year. I mean, we certainly felt at the towards the back end of the season. Uh, where it got ended and we had to, we were placed into the playoffs, um, we felt like if we got into that kind of automatic slash playoff mix, we'd done ourselves really well. If we got promoted, that would have been amazing at the time. Um, but if not, then it wasn't a bad thing overall because we had a new ownership. We looked like we were going places. We looked like we were going to back our manager to the hill. And off the back of that, anyway, we got placed into the playoffs of, um, as part of their PPG, so points per game. And subsequently, we, we did it. We, we went all the way to Wembley and we did it in some style. We, you know, we were underwritten um, by a lot of the clubs that were in that mix um, and they didn't feel we deserved it. But let's take that away for a second and say, look, you've got two games where you had to play. Um, it was the semi-finals, uh, two legs to make ourselves into the final. And even towards the final, I feel like fans were writing off Wigan Wanderers and we absolutely just dominated. We absolutely played the game of our lives and that will still be a historic moment for me. Looking into the beginning of this season, obviously I think there was very little expectation around how we should be performing. And at the beginning of it, it didn't seem very rosy for us. Um, in particular, after the Blackburn result where we lost 5-0 away from home, it looks like we were getting going to go for a season of tonkings and potentially 
you know, going for a new world record in terms of maybe bottom with very little points. But we've started to show our own. We're showing that we're actually no pushovers. And that's despite the fact that we've got one of the lowest budgets in the league. And I feel like we're actually going places right now. So, I mean, granted, we're still in that relegation mix right now. But there's still that sign of positivity with the team, the manager. There's no sense of we've got to make a move. And, you know, that says a lot when you consider the likes of Sheffield Wednesday had to make a move in terms of management. And there's other clubs right there in that mix that probably can't afford to go down to League One. So for us to be even in that position where we can be fighting for our survival in the championship says a lot. So I think we've been written off many a time and it won't be the last time. But if we do the incredible achievement of staying up, yeah, it will totally eclipse everything we've just achieved this year. Um, But yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys is what's your thoughts on Wickham Wanderers, given that we don't really talk about it. I know Craig's seen a few of our games. Andy, I'm not so sure if you've seen many of our games, but... Yeah, from the outside, what does it look like to you guys? I'll go first. Um, so I, I've not watched a lot of games live, Adam. I think I've watched one or two so far this season, and I'll I watch the highlight show on Quest on a Sunday morning as well. It's a bit mm. of a routine for me. I think Wickham have been okay without being spectacular. They've been okay, like you said, they were they were thought I thought of as cannon fodder in all honesty and that it was going to be a bit of a pace yeah. every week. And I think the games that I've seen and the highlights that I've seen, you're kind of holding your own. I don't see you getting beat four or fives. I think most of the games that I've seen are quite close. And can I, would I dare say that you've been unlucky in a few games, refereeing decisions, etc. So I don't think you're, you're miles away. You're right that I don't think the Wickham board will panic. I think the manager you've got there has done a phenomenal job to get them here. And the Wick, Wickham team and the fans seem to be of the opinion that you are, Adam, that it's just a fantastic experience to be here. If you stay up, then it's just beyond, you know, all expectations. But if you were to go back down, I, I would imagine you would keep your manager and build again for another promotion bid. Yeah. So I've, I've been I've been quietly impressed with Wickham, their organisation, um, and they've been able to hang with some established championship clubs. I look at the QPR result last weekend and I thought you, you matched them quite evenly, although QPR are... Yeah. Are struggling a little bit themselves, but you haven't been embarrassed at all. And for a newly promoted club, I think you're you're there thereabouts, and you will start eventually picking up more and more points. And you know, fingers crossed, you guys stay in the championship. No, great. And I think the interesting thing was also the game previous to that. Bournemouth they have a squad that was worth a hundred million versus yeah. our two hundred fifty thousand pounds team. Um, but yeah, for us to kind of take it to the last minute of the game, really, to almost score an equaliser says a lot about the character of that team. You know, despite being down to 10 men as well, we really are getting there or thereabouts. But I still feel like we're still lacking that kind of goal scoring threat. I mean, we're still relying on 38 year old in Akin Fenwa to kind of really <laughs> change the game for us. And that says a lot about our type of team. We are kind of reliant on certain individuals. Akin Fenwa won't last. I, I suspect this might be his last major contract. So I'd be surprised if he gets another football league contract thereafter. But I mean, boy, that guy deserves all the superlatives because yeah he's matching that level even though a lot of people have written him off in terms of being a championship footballer let alone being above that level so um yeah i think he deserves it but yeah it's going to be a difficult one whatever happens i think he's going to be one of those type of players that we've got to kind of work out how we replace him um, and it's going to be a difficult task we've got the likes of uche ikpiazu who we bought from hearts and yeah, he's learning off Akin Fenwa, which is a good thing. Um, he's a bit more athletic, which helps. Um, but yeah, he hasn't really set the ground of the light just yet. So yeah, what about you, Andy? What's your thoughts on Wickham? I think, considering the resources they have available to them, like they've done amazingly, amazingly well. Um, I think it just goes to show that, you know, good management in whatever level of the league counts for an awful awful lot because i don't think there's another manager out there that would be able to have got wickham to where they are now um 
you know, what he's done with that. Because he had one of the lowest budgets in League One, let alone the bloody yeah. championship. Like, uh, because of the coronavirus impact, they probably weren't, you know, I remember we were chatting offline um, and on Twitter and stuff. Like, they were having, you know, there was potential redundancies and things like that. You know, had they not yeah. been promoted to the championship, they would have actually been in quite a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah. even with the new owner backing them, they've had to make a lot of structural changes. So to do what they have done uh, with the resources they have, or don't have rather, I think it's incredible. And you, what Craig said, like, whenever I've looked at their results online, so I do keep an eye out for them. Like, they've always been tight games, generally speaking. Like, they're not mm. getting absolutely battered left, right and centre. And honestly, if you gave... Uh, Gareth Ainsworth a few million quid, he'd probably keep him up, no problem. Um, but yeah. the fact is, even they're even in with a fighting chance, I think speaks a lot more about him and also the spirit of their players, because they are, in essence, you know, if you look at, you know, Leeds being praised to basically be the butcher championship players over performing, a lot of these lads are League One players, really. Um, and and lower, yeah. And lower, yeah. Like, you know, the status of the players that they've got, they shouldn't even be in the championship. But yeah, it's amazing that they are. No. So let's move on to our aspirations for our side. So I wanted to put out there, so where do we want our teams to be performing at? I mean, I suspect for Craig, this is quite an easy one in the sense of just maintain it so they can see out the title. Um, But yeah, let's start with you, Andy. Um, where do you feel like Man United can push on and where do you think they should focus on for this season or at least till the end of this season anyway? I think they have to focus on actually winning something. Um, mm. You know, last season we got to two semi-finals, came third in the league and, you know, a Manchester United side is expected to win trophies um, at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think if United don't win the league, which you probably won't, they have to win an FA Cup, they have to win a League Cup, they have to win the Europa League. Like, you, you, you know, we don't care, no one cares if you reach the semi final. It's about if you win or if you don't. Um, Manchester United have been about a trophy for a couple of years now since Jose's first season, and it's about time we won something. And ultimately, if we don't win something this season, then the manager will be under a lot of pressure. That's it. And Craig, what about you? What's your aspirations for the rest of this season or at least for the next season? Yeah, like you've said, mate, it's pretty straightforward for me. We are currently in, obviously, battling for the league. We're in the Scottish Cup and we're in the Europa League now. Scottish Cup would be nice. Europa League's, that's lovely and all, but but our, our only priority really is the league title. We've got a very important season for us. We have the opportunity to win our 55th domestic league title um, and in the mix... And, you know, combined with that, stop Celtic winning 10 in a row. So it's an enormously important season for us. Um, it's league title or, or nothing, really, for me. A Scottish Cup is not enough. It has to be a league for us this year. Mm. Interestingly, for me, it's just really dead simple. It's just really turning our draws into wins, really. Because right now, that's what's really costing us potentially staying up in this league and I know Gareth Ainsworth keeps on banging on about being nerdy there or you know there or thereabouts but we really need to start converting a lot more of our chances and turning them into wins and I know there's a lot of element of luck in that as well Uh, we haven't had that luck so will that turn in our favour but let's take that away we really need to start making the most of the opportunities we do get and I suspect it's going to be down to that January window in terms of who we can bring in. And I'm hoping we can bring in, if it's not a permanent signing, potentially someone on loan. Um, there's going to be obviously lots of players right now that are unattached right now because they thought they were going to get deals at the back end of the summer and it didn't turn out for them. So obviously there'll be a lot of players out there that are looking for contracts. Um, it's just going to be a question for us as to, what we've got available to us, whether we can afford it and yeah, whether they are the right fit because ultimately for Wickham, it's really making sure that that personality doesn't disrupt our kind of dressing room. And that's the thing that Gareth Ainsworth still sticks to right now, even at this championship level, he's making sure that he's done a lot of homework on these players. Um, You saw the likes of Gareth McCleary, who obviously played for Nottingham Forest and Reading. He was unattached 
um, prior to being signed by Wickham, and that was based on a two-week trial that he had at Wickham as well. So that goes a long way to sort of show you the kind of work that Gareth Ainsworth does with his players. But yeah, ultimately, just survival for me. Um, and then how can we build on that as well for the following season? That's going to be a real difficult one, um, especially when I expect the likes of Akinfenwa potentially might retire. I mean, he's not said anything right now, but he's been quite critical to the way we played. And um, he's been a great influence on that dressing room. Um, I'd be sad to see him go because he's been one hell of a player be sad to see if I couldn't even see him towards the end of this season because I think he's done a lot for us but ultimately much like most players the club will still survive regardless it will still go on and it's just how we poo like kind of evolve and move on as well so that's the key thing there so guys what about in terms of players do you, if you had the opportunity to bring someone you know regardless of budgets who would be the key one player that you'd love to see at your clubs right now? Andy, do you want to go? Oh, that's a tough one to be honest. I think um, if I was to make a plump out there, I'd probably say uh, Ernie Carlin, to be honest, because he is genuinely the most clinic, one of the most clinical finishers I've seen. Like, if you, that lad's, in, in that United team, would score 30, 40 goals a season, no problem. Like, he probably, he's probably the most clinical number nine that would be at United since the days of Van Nisseroy, honestly. Yeah. yeah, so that, if there was no, no holds barred, mm. all the money in the world would be like, fucking have it. Yeah. You can't really argue with that. But yeah, he's kind of a right fit for Man United in the sense of he's got that prowess, he's got the stature. He really fits in with that squad, and yeah, he's that one player that you could say would make the difference in those kind of games where you're struggling as well. He'd make that impact, and right now, that's what Man United have been lacking. Don't understand why they didn't make the stops to really get him in, but potentially it could be down to his uh, father's influence anyway. And also his so, agent, yeah, who's yeah. Mino Riola. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is very true. Um, what about you, Craig? Is there any particular player that you feel you guys could benefit from right I'm now? I'm going to go a slightly different angle with this. I think the best piece of business that could happen to us in the summer would be to not lose anyone. I think Gerard's building yeah. a, a really, really good squad. We've got some really talented young players. And I think if we could keep this team of players together, we could build a bit of a dynasty and go and win you know, three, four, five titles in a row under this management. But, you know, I'm, I'm not delusional. I understand that where Scotland's place is in the European ladder. And I'm not under any illusions either that there are Premier League clubs who are much, much smaller in stature than Rangers can attract their players because of where they are in the country and the wages that they can afford to, to pay. I also include Steven Gerrard in that as well. Now, I think, I'd like to think, that the only job he would leave us for is Liverpool. But you never know if a sort of mid to, you know, higher mid-table and uh, team in England was to sack their manager. Would that attract Stephen Gerrard? I'm not entirely sure. But for me, the best piece of business that I would wish for is to not lose anyone. Um, and if we could start next season, we would have started this season, I think we could go on to something special. Mm. And for me, if I allude to my last section, it would be just how we can replace the likes of Akin Fenwa. So obviously in a world where you guys are talking about Erling Haaland for Man United, for example... I think our level is kind of restricted. So, um, yeah, the one player that I feel that could be kind of that replacement for Akin Femmer would be someone like Glenn Murray. Um, I say Glenn Murray because he doesn't look like he's getting much game time at Watford. I feel he's the kind of player that offers us that dynamic aspect that Akin Femmer does, which is that target man. But he's also quite nimble on his feet. I know he's only 35 at this level. Um, but yeah, for a championship player, he's doing quite well. He'd score us the most important goals to get us vital goals right now. And if we could do that business in January, hell of a chance for us to stay up in that league. So yeah, I think if there's one player that I'd like us to see us snap up, it'd be him right now. So um, yeah, that's it really from that point of view. So that's it for us. Um, hope you enjoyed that second part of the Christmas special. And 
hope you're enjoying your Christmas day if you're listening to this on Christmas day. If not, hope you're enjoying your Boxing Day or any other day thereafter in terms of the Christmas schedule. But from myself, Adam Gipke, and my co-hosts, Craig and Andy, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And this is it. So thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, goodbye. Yeah, you in a sad face come up to my